Well, it is really good to see everyone here this morning, and welcome to our service. Sorry if you can't be with us and you're stuck at home, and uh, we look forward to having you back as soon as possible. Hope you recover quickly and uh, come back with us. So, big welcome. And uh, just a couple of things to mention. Uh, this Thursday, we have planned um, an event by the Christian Institute, who are coming, hoping to come here to speak to us um, about the contemporary issues that we face as Christians in the world and how to look at those uh, as from the Bible. Uh, and I think that'll be a really helpful evening. So there are some more of these invites in the foyer. So do use them if you want to invite anyone along and uh, come and join us for that event. Uh, we do have a list to sign up for if you'd like to join us for the Fellowship Tea on the Communion Sunday, two weeks' time. Um, everyone's very welcome. Sign up for that. And next week, we're really looking forward to the baptism of Izzy David. Uh, so it's something to look forward to for next week. Well, in our first uh, song that we're going to sing together, it's a call really for us all to come and worship, whether we're young, whether we're old, whether we've had a good night's sleep, or we've been awake, uh, whether we've struggled this last week, whether we're full, whether we're empty. It's a call for us all to come and worship God because it's all about him. Come people of the risen king who delight to give him praise. Let's sing together.
Well, we're back in Hebrews again this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, so turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 for our first reading. We have three readings, Hebrews 11, and we're going to start reading from verse 23 to 28. Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And to remind us of the background of Moses, let's go back into Exodus for our second reading. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 15 to 2 verse 10. And uh, we were thinking last time about Joseph and um, him, his brothers, and all that generation are dead and buried, except for Joseph, of course. He is boxed up with an Israeli postcode stamped on the box. Uh, he's waiting for transport. But everyone else, uh, all of them, they're all dead. That generation's gone. So is the old Pharaoh. And a new king raises up in Egypt who doesn't know anything about Joseph. And so really the Hebrew nation that's growing and growing and growing is now becoming a, a threat to this king, to Egypt itself. Chapter 1, verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her servant woman, and she took it. 
When she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse for me, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. And our third reading is in Exodus chapter 12. So Moses grows up. He has to escape Egypt. God then calls him to rescue God's people from Egypt. Comes to Pharaoh, let my people go. The plagues arrive and we're just right at the end. Now in chapter 12, just before they escape. And we're going to read verse 21. Chapter 12, verse 21 to 28. Then Moses called all the elders of of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Well, Tony's going to do the children's talk after our next hymn. So children do come down front after we've sung. And we're going to sing our next hymn now. It reminds us of how important it is that we come to the cross of Jesus and uh, it's the place where we uh, find forgiveness, it is the place where we find hope, it is the place we need to be. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I gladly take my stand.
Good morning. Good to see you all. Now, perhaps some of you... Actually, put your hand up if you haven't gone to school yet. Who hasn't gone to school yet? Oh, two of you and your hands haven't gone up yet. Well, when you're your age, it's really great because you can ask questions that sometimes as we get a bit older, we get a bit embarrassed to ask. I think children can ask really, really good questions. And I want to tell you a story, a story about something that happened quite a long while ago because the girl in this story, the little girl in this story, she's grown up and married now, so she's quite a lot older. So she's not sitting here, so I'm not telling the story about anyone. And she was on a holiday with a bunch of teenagers and she was sitting in the minibus next to... You know how some, some teenagers are really good at looking after younger ones? Well, she was sitting in, 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 the, in the minibus next to a girl who was just like that, really good at looking after people. And she asked her a question. What do you think the question was? What, what, what ideas did you have about the sort of question she might have asked? Got any ideas? Yeah. What's your name? Uh, yes, good question. How old are you? Where do you come from? Yeah, go on. Where's your birthday? Well, she knew this teenager quite well already. What else might she have asked? Any ideas? Yeah. Are you a Christian? Now, do you know what? She's got exactly, well, almost exactly the question that was asked. The question that she asked was, do you love Jesus? There was a long silence. The teenager said, um, well, and tried to change the subject. But you know, when you're younger, you want an answer to your questions, don't you? So she asked the question again. And the teenager got a bit embarrassed. And tried to offer a sweet. And she had the sweet, and then what happened? Exactly, and she kept on asking the question until her mum got involved and said, I don't think this person wants to answer your question. Now, I've got two good answers to that question. And the first one's going to surprise you, because there are some really bad answers, but I'm not going to give you the bad answers. The first answer might surprise you. No, I don't love Jesus. Perhaps you can tell me some more about him so that I can love him. Because we have to be honest, sometimes people have to say, I don't love Jesus because I don't know enough about him. Or the much better answer, yes, I do love Jesus. Now, what happens next? What does Jesus want? Well, Jesus, oh, go on then. Go on, uh, Katie. Us to love him and to spread his word around the country. Well, do you know what? You've got a little bit before I was going to. I was going to say that next. Because the first thing I was going to say was, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. So it makes sense, doesn't it? If we love someone, we do what they want. 
That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, Jesus says that. If you love me, keep my commands. And then the next question was going to be, and what does Jesus command? Well, Jesus says, love God with all your heart. And the second thing is, love your neighbours like you love yourself. And that would mean that you tell them about Jesus too. So, remember the girl with her question. The question was a really good question, even though the person didn't want to answer it. It was, do you love Jesus? And then think, if you do love Jesus, what does Jesus want us to do? Let's pray, shall we? Oh Lord our God, we are glad that we can talk to you. We're glad that you welcome children to come to you. And Lord, I pray that all of us will ask ourselves that question. Whether we love you. And Lord, if we do love you, I pray that you'll help us to live in a way that shows it. And if we don't love you, oh Lord, I pray that you'll give us all that that hunger in our hearts to find you and to know you. Amen. Great, thanks very much. Do you want to go back to your seats? Thank you, Tony. Well, let's continue praying, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, help us as we continue praying now. We come before you, the living God. We cannot see you. But Lord, by faith we come this morning. And we believe that your word is true. It is reliable. We believe that you are the living God. And the faith that you have planted in our hearts, we ask that you'll make that grow that our trust and faith in you will become stronger each day, that our lives will be conformed to you, to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it is with uh, humble hearts that we come to you this morning, that such a great God, in all his power, his creating power, his might, his saving power, uh, could deal with us in grace and mercy Though we at every point have turned astray and gone our own way, we don't even have it in us to seek after you. Every intent of our thoughts is away from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll breathe your life into us to transform us, to remake us, that we might be born again into your kingdom if we're not already. Lord, draw out from our hearts the worship that you are worthy of. There is no one like you, and we worship you this morning. On a practical level, our lives are full of your blessings. Whatever things that we have struggled through this last week, we have to say that you are unquestionably good, and the blessings that you pour upon us, we cannot count. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning for the health and strength that we take for granted so often, so many of us, so much of the time. We thank you that none of us go hungry or thirsty. We thank you that we have clean water to drink. We're not at risk of disease in that way, like so many are in the world. 
We have, many of us, useful and helpful ways of employment and times to fill our time with, people to care for, people to love, people who love us. We thank you for our families, our relationships. Lord, we are blessed in this country with peace and safety the majority of the time. We have so much given to us. Our lives in so many ways are made so easy. So Lord, we thank you for your great blessings toward us. But will we come this morning and thank you even more for Jesus? We sung of that great gap, that great gulf, and between us and God stands the cross and the Lord Jesus Christ who hung on it for us. And we have two great wonders to tell, that your love is so amazing toward us, and yet we are so unworthy. So we thank you if we can say that your grace has saved us, that you've had mercy on us. Lord, your, your work in our hearts is, is all about you. It's all about your glory. It's all about your salvation. Forgive us when we make it about us. Forgive us when we become consumed with our, ourselves. Lord, help our lives to point to Jesus. Help us to show our love for you. Help that to show around in our working life, in our family life, in our communities, that the gospel will spread even through us. Lord, we pray for the preaching of your word. We rest completely on what the Bible says as truth, and we thank you that we can be sure that we can be sure that what we believe is truth from a God who cannot lie and is faithful to his word, to himself, his character, and to his promises. So Lord, as we hear it preached here, as we hear it taught in Sunday school, in Bible studies, as we read it daily as your people, we pray you'll strengthen us and ground us in your truth, however opposite it may be to the way of the world around us. Help us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the word of God within us, strengthening us, taking us over. Lord, help John as he preaches to us this morning. We pray, Lord, for all faithful preachers who are explaining your word this morning, preaching your truth. We pray that it will have a great effect in people's lives. We pray that the dead will hear your voice and that you'll bring them to life. We pray for any here who are constantly, daily struggling away from you to live their own life. We pray in your mercy that you would call them out of darkness into your light. For those who are resisting the call of your grace and the patience of your love towards them, we ask that you'll bring them to the cross, guilty and ready to be forgiven. And Lord, help us as your people, because we daily struggle. So often we give up in the fight before it's begun. So often we're so slow to learn lessons of the past. Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. Strengthen us as your people, that we might honour you in our lives. Lord, we pray this morning for our nation. And we were shocked at the king of Egypt putting to death the firstborn boys, and yet really nothing's changed. The most dangerous place for us to be is in the womb. And Lord, we pray that as we slaughter children in their millions, 
We pray that you would have mercy on us. We see in the Old Testament how you judge the nations who worship their idols through human sacrifice. And as we do the same to the idol of ourselves and our convenience and our wickedness, we are ripe for your judgment and we pray for your mercy. Lord God, have mercy on us. Reform your church, we pray. Send your spirit to mightily work that the power of the gospel, the light of the gospel will shine once again in this part of the world. We thank you that there are parts of the world where many people are coming into the kingdom of God. We praise you for that and we ask that you'll protect your people from false teaching and that the word of God will be sounded clearly and powerfully. Lord, bless those who we know who are missionaries and preachers. Lord, help them to keep going. Help them to work hard in your kingdom. We pray you'll bless them with seeing the fruit of their labours, we ask. Lord God, we pray for ourselves this coming week. Watch over us and be with us in whatever we face. There are many times in our lives that we have things that no one else knows about, that we dread, that we fear. And Lord, I pray that your peace will comfort us and strengthen us to do the right thing to have that conversation, to make that decision. Oh Lord, do strengthen us, we pray and help us. We commit to you the Connect group as they meet tomorrow evening and we ask that the contacts which are being made down in Alderbrook will, will be a great benefit to the people who live there. Lord, it will be drawing people in to hear the gospel. Children and families alike, we pray for that group. You'll bless them tomorrow evening. We pray for first steps and we're so thankful for the number of parents and children, young children who join that group. But Lord, we want it to go further than just just what that is. We, we pray for good conversations. We pray that children will then start coming to Sunday school. Lord, we, we seek in all our ministries to spread your good news. Lord, bless our efforts uh, and what we seek to do to honour you. Lord, we pray for the meeting on Thursday. We thank you for the Christian Institute and all they do to support Christians who are on the front line, who are targeted, who are put down, who are criminalised for free speech and for other non-criminal activities. Lord, we pray that you'd, you'd bless that team. You'd greatly strengthen them. You'd give them many, many successes in the law courts, to make sure that common sense, that your word, that freedom of speech is, um, is kept alive. We pray for the aggressive forces in our country to stamp out Christianity, really, to, to condone lawlessness and sin. We pray that you'll bring their plans to nothing. We pray that many who are trapped in what we are reaping from what we have been sowing that many will be brought into the light of the gospel. From their hopeless situation, will be brought into true life. Lord, we, we pray for this. We, we hold our hands up and we say, Lord, we, we just are so powerless to change anything, but your grace and your power, nothing stands in the way of. We put our confidence in you and in your word. This morning we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's sing before John uh, comes to preach for us. And uh, we're going to sing.
this, this hymn. O oh Jesus, I promise to serve you to the end. Be now and ever near me, my master and my friend. So we're moving through this series of faith boosters in uh, the chapter 11 of the letter to the Hebrews. 
And uh, perhaps you remember, if you've been here in some of the Sunday mornings recently or watching on, that uh, we've been going down, if you like, this exhibition of paintings of uh, different people of faith and the events in their lives. We came to quite a, a cluster with Abraham. And uh, there were several things mentioned in relation to the faith of Abraham. And uh, this morning we come to another cluster, a second person of whom quite a lot is mentioned, and that is Moses. There are four or five events in Hebrews 11 relating to the faith of Moses. And so we're going to look at Moses this morning in the hope that it will encourage, it will boost us in our faith, not just boost our faith, but boost the way in which that faith is exercised and outworks in our lives. And one thing that has a link between the different um, uh, things mentioned in Moses is that they are situations that might produce fear. We're in Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 28, and if I can just dip in to give you a flavour of these things, verse 23 you have, and they were not afraid of the king's edict, though they may well have been. And in verse uh, 27, not being afraid of the anger of the king, verse uh, 28 so that the destroyer, when the destroyer is at work, there were circumstances where there might have been fear. And true faith is uh, to be at work in situations of fear. Frightening times are good times to be faith times. Last week uh, I was talking to somebody, they were in difficult circumstances and they said, oh, give me a scripture, give me a Bible verse. What Bible verse do I give? And then I thought of um, Psalm 56 verse 3, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Faith in frightening times. And I expect that you are in situations, or you often might be in situations, which produce fear. Maybe you can think of some um, at this current time that you're facing fear. Maybe fear through the pressure that others are putting on you to do wrong things. And it's frightening. It seems hard to stand firm. Maybe because you're stepping out in serving God and it's all uncertain and scary. Maybe you're aware, thoughtful about the end of life, about judgment, about guilt. Faith in God can and should speak into these situations of fear. And it did in Moses' experience. So we're going to look at these episodes. Uh, I was originally going to pick up three things this morning, but on my walk this morning I realised actually it would have been good to separate a fourth, you know, like motorway junctions, you add a 3A sometimes afterwards. Well, I'm going to add an extra one, and the third one is slipped in a bit more on itself, so that we've got four things this morning to do with faith, often in frightening times related to Moses, but which should be a boost for us. Uh, The first I think I shall spend most time on, 
of the four, the third will be quite brief, faith resisting, faith resisting. Now the first one involves Moses' parents and they were awful times. So the Egyptians are trying to um, contain the population and the power of the Israelites, the slaves as they are now in their society. And the command from the top is that the Hebrew boys should be killed at birth. And the first strategy is to get the midwives to do the business on behalf of Pharaoh. But because they wanted to honour God rather than Pharaoh, they managed to duck and dive out of uh, fulfilling his evil plot. So then the edict is passed on, the command is passed on to the population as a whole. And the Hebrew boys are to be thrown into the Nile at birth. Well, it's horrendous. As it's parallel with Herod and uh, what he was doing with the Bethlehem boys that we think of at Christmas. Uh, it's infanticide. Well, our focus thing uh, goes to what happens in Exodus 2. We, we read of it. And it, it turns to one particular couple. They're not named there, but we know them as Amram and Jochebed. And they have a boy. Now, of course, they, they desperately wanted to preserve his life. The risks were high. Hiding a baby is not easy. Babies don't respond to being told to shush. Not only was um, the, the lad their flesh and blood, they seemed, um, they seemed to realise that there was something special about this baby. He says he was a, a, a beautiful baby. And I don't just think that means he was a bonny boy with nice sort of chubby cheeks. He was no ordinary child. He was a fine child. They sense that God has special purposes for this boy, that God was setting him apart as a rescuer. The law was plain. And Pharaoh doesn't like the word no. But out of faith, faith that God would not have had them kill the baby, faith recognising God's plans... This couple ignore the powers that be. They resist. They hide their child for three months and then after the three months they have a, a cunning plan which involves the daughter of Pharaoh showing compassion on the child and taking him into the Pharaoh's household to bring him up. And so verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Fearful circumstances potentially, but faith resists. Faith resisting. Now, what should our attitude be to authority? What should be the attitude of Christians to authority? Well, in general, God's pattern is that we submit, that we cooperate, that we come under, that we show respect, 
And this is true in employment and in the family and in the church and in the society that we live, in the state. Let let me give you, for instance, Romans 13 and verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Even bad governments. The Christian instinct and desire should be submission and respect and coming under and cooperation. But there are times when authorities overreach themselves. When authority tries to get you to do something immoral. Like here, these babies. When the authorities try to get you to deny your faith, which led to the death of Christian martyrs in the past. When authorities try to get you to worship false gods, as they did in Daniel's day. When the authorities try and muzzle the gospel, gag the gospel, as they did in the book of Acts. And then it is right for Christians to resist. It can be frightening. And our resistance should be with wisdom and respect. But at the end of the day, as in Acts 5.29, we have to say we must obey God rather than man. And Moses' parents had faith. And they were not, if you like, intimidated by the edict of the king. And this demonstration of of faith is is very important in some parts of the world. I came across this little paragraph in a recent book about China. It's a Richard Coakin book on this chapter, but it says this. By faith in December 2018, the prominent evangelical Chinese pastor Wang Yi criticised the Chinese government for requiring its citizens to engage in the Caesar worship of President Xi Jinping as if he were a god before being arrested together with a hundred members of his early reign covenant church since when he has not been seen. There is a place sometimes for Resisting by faith. Uh, This principle has led many Christian uh, medical staff to say that they cannot be involved with the medical care of abortions. Are you under pressure to compromise your faith uh, by the state, by your employer, by your family, There are difficult decisions, aren't there, in a complex world? You know, I wonder, how, how did Daniel do it in the Bible in Babylon as a very, very senior official? How did he cope with the complexities of living in that ungodly power and working it through? I, I don't know fully, but there were times where he felt he had to make a clear stand. Are you yielding where you shouldn't be? 
Does there need to be a faith that resists? It's interesting here that it's parents who resisted. It's parents who believed in God and uh, resisted in what was being expected of them to do with their children. Think about that a little bit more. I I wouldn't want us to produce a, a batch of difficult, stroppy parents who are real headache wherever they go. We want to be salt and light. We want to be um, a positive influence in society. We want to be Christ-like. But there may be times when, as parents, concern for your children and exercising faith, that you may maybe say, no, that's not going to happen. And no, I'm not going to expose them to that. One specific area which came to my mind, which may be relevant, um, as as parents, uh, we felt that uh, loving, measured, uh, physical chastisement or smacks were for the good of our children in their early years. We felt it was based on biblical principles in Proverbs and Ephesians. Uh, to our mind, it was... Uh, Uh, a a much better way of helping them grow up than uh, some of the alternative uh, approaches to discipline for them in their early years. We didn't use it lots. Uh, Some children had more than others. And we tried to be very careful that it was never wild or excessive or out of frustration, but it was a loving act for their good. And maybe you've felt the same in your parenting. But now even reasonable chastisement, even reasonable chastisement is banned in um, Scotland and in Wales. And the pressure is on in England. And so the way things are going, I can't think that it will be many years until, it is, or many years before, it is also banned in our own country. Now, obviously, there are good concerns behind some of this. Uh, They're trying to spare children receiving harsh, wild abuse uh, from uh, parents that are behaving badly towards their children. But many of us think, well, it's an overreach of government to say that reasonable, loving, physical chastisement is illegal, is a criminal offence. And parents may be left with an issue. You might be thinking, is this the state overreaching? Do I, out of faith, have to resist this or not? I think it's a relevant issue for parents to be thinking through. While some of these issues are are difficult issues, um, there are many other issues to think through. But there's a a principle here that is sometimes needed, that faith resists. Faith doesn't cower. Faith isn't frightened of the edict. Faith resisting. 
Well, the second episode is about uh, 40 years later. Uh, Moses is a grown man, and we come to faith choosing. We're moving to verses uh, 24 to 26, faith choosing. And we have here a very, I think, a very powerful description of faith in action, which I think could be a help to some of us. Here, let me read it again. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses is now at the age to make his own decisions and perhaps you are increasingly. Parents' choices are increasingly behind you. Uh, You stand on your own ground. You've got to make decisions about the directions in which you go and which you are heading. And my question for you from this is, do you have faith in God driving that direction and those decisions? Sometimes uh, they reach a crisis point. We reach a crisis point. And it gets a case of who will I side with? Am I going to go with God or am I going to go in a different direction according to my own heart or towards the pressures of others? Which way am I going to go? Moses came to a crisis point, to a crossroads if you like, and his choice was loaded with faith. His choice was loaded with faith. So this was the situation. Moses had, if you like, an upbringing extraordinaire. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. We just caught that. So he would have had the best education. He would have had the highest of living standards, all sorts of opportunities, all the thrills going, the best of prospects he had as part of Pharaoh's household. But he never forgot his origins. And it gets to a point where he sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew. And he feels he has to make a choice. Who do I side with? With the Egyptian and their oppressive uh, abuse? Or with the Israelites, my people, my family, my origins? Which way was it going to go? It would be a costly choice. On, on the one hand, he would, be, he would be missing out on the high life. In, in today's terms, if you like, he'd have had a posh house, great holidays, partying with the rich, endless nights out, the best of fashion, cordon bleu cooking, and, but it would have been mixed with sin and immorality and drunkenness. And it would have been so temporary and passing The other choice, the other hand, on the face of it, not so tempting. He will identify himself with this group of downtrodden slaves, this bunch of nobodies. These sort of old immigrant shepherds now doing the dirty work for the Egyptians. And those people were suffering and they would suffer. 
Now, perhaps it's similar for you. You're at a bit of a crossroads in life, really. And you, you have a life or possibilities and it seems great and it seems exciting and it's in with the crowd and it's living it up and you have a good future and you'd be well off. But you know it's taking you away from God. You know that with your friends in that direction you end up doing things which are not good. And otherwise, you can link up with this ragbag bunch of Christians who don't seem overly impressive on the outside. It's time for faith to be exercised. Why would you choose this? Why would you choose this? Why does Moses choose this? Because he loves God's people. Because he loves God. Because although this is the pathway of hardship, even back then in Moses' day, he makes a link with, with the Christ that is coming and with God's choice of his people and that going this route he is linking himself with the saviour who would come later on because he realises that the thrills of, of sin and there are thrills of sin are so fleeting compared to the pleasures forevermore according to Psalm 16 of a choice in this direction so he has this choice And because of faith in his heart, he leaves that and he chooses this because he loves God, he loves God's people, he has faith in what the future holds and he knows what's right and he wants to be linked with Christ. Let's read about it again, 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So what will you choose? What sort of pleasures will you pursue? Who will you identify with? Is faith driving your choices? Are you willing to suffer with Christ? Faith choosing. Faith choosing. 24 to 26. Well then, verse 27, this is where we're going to our insert really, our extra junction. Verse 27, it can be taken in two ways. It talks about Moses uh, leaving Egypt. By faith he left Egypt. And this could refer, Moses actually left Egypt twice. So this could refer to a couple of instances in Moses' life. It could refer to what we've just read when he sided with the Israelites and then had to run off into the desert away from Pharaoh. And in some ways that flows on nicely in terms of the way in which you read it. But according to Exodus 2, he left 
in fear, which doesn't quite fit with verse 27. And the account doesn't really seem to bring out a sort of enduring, persistent faith. It was more of a one-off decision. I think it's more likely to refer to the later period, we're coming on to, when the Israelites as a whole were fled or left Egypt, uh, the Exodus. And what we have here, if I was going to, if I had another couple of days and thought about it a bit more, I think we might have another point, which was faith enduring. Faith enduring. We fast forward 40 years for that. Moses is back with the Israelites. He's the rescuer sent by God. Uh, God is going to deliver. It's going to be a long process though. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, sort of persistently endured as a sense, as seeing him who is invisible. So in leaving Egypt on that occasion, Moses was called to confront Pharaoh to say that Pharaoh must let God's people go. Now I wouldn't have sat terribly comfortably, would you, with the idea of going to the world superpower and telling him something that he didn't want to hear it would have instilled a fair bit of fear in me and I imagine most of you. It would be bad enough as a one-off. It would be that sort of life experience, built up to it, it's done, move on. But Moses had to repeatedly do it. There were ten plagues, so was it about ten times he had to go up and confront the world's superpower face-to-face telling him God's will. He had to repeatedly face what would have been a fearsome situation because of a sense of God. Faith enduring. And you may find this, and I might find this, that sometimes our faith in God needs to be exercised in the face of repeated fearful circumstances. But out of faith, Moses sees beyond, if I can put it this way, puny Pharaoh, and towering in his mind beyond Pharaoh is a very real sense of the greatness and the importance of the living God. And so by faith, he resists, he endures. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Well, Pharaoh, defiant Pharaoh, brings misery on his own people as the plagues of judgment come upon the land of Egypt. As he continually defies the orders of the Almighty. And we get finally to the tenth plague, which is going to infect the land. And this will prove to be D-Day for the Israelites, for the people of God. But it's not going to come the way you might have expected. And we read, or come on to our last point, 
which is faith sheltering, especially verse 28, actually. Faith sheltering. The time of deliverance has come. And we might want to make a dash for it. Okay, it's heading off time, folks. Let's go. Well, the deliverance, the escape, the exodus will soon be here. But the deliverance will come by faith. It will come by faith. A destroyer was going to come through the land of Egypt. The firstborn of each house would lose uh, their life. It was going to be a horrendous night in Egypt. Uh, But there was a way to avoid the judgment of God. The episode is called the Passover. Maybe you've heard that term, the Passover. Because the judgment of God would pass over some houses. Over the houses of the obedient Israelites. Now why did the judgment pass over some houses? Because they did what God asked because they sacrificed a lamb, which was the instruction, because then, this sounds quite strange to us, because they then, if you like, painted the lamb's blood on the doorposts of the house that they were in, and because they kept a special meal inside in uh, thinking about what was happening. And then the judgment would pass over as... The people, the Israelites in practice, believed what God said, carried through, was the sacrifice, there was the blood, there would be a Passover. It was like, you know, it was like in a way, it was like a do not disturb sign. You know, if you're in a hotel or staying somewhere and you don't want the cleaner to come in, you put do not disturb on the handle outside and they come along and they miss your house, miss your room. Well, it was like a do not disturb, I'm a safe in here. It was the blood on the doorposts. Something very significant which God asked for, which was looking forward to something else. Not, not a case of do not disturb, person asleep, but do not judge, person of faith inside. Person of faith. Faith in God's way of Sacrifice. Well, would they believe it? If they did? If they followed? If they kept it? They, they sheltered. And they were safe. Verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Faith sheltered. Faith sheltering. And this points forward. In the New Testament, it says, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ the Passover has been sacrificed for us. That was pointing forward to something. The lamb dying was Jesus dying on the cross. The blood he shed would be what God used to pay the punishment for sin. It was through that that people could be safe and saved. And when we put our personal trust in Jesus as saviour, it's as though 
we are sheltering under the protection that he gives and judgment won't come our way. So if you are one of these people who would fear death and would fear judgment and would fear guilt, then what do you need to do? You need to shelter under the blood of Christ and put your trust in him. That's why we sang as our second song, Beneath the cross of Jesus I would take my stand. You remember the story, the younger ones do, of the three little pigs. And if you were just in a straw house, came and blown away. And if the pig was in a, the, just a mere wooden house, isn't it? Blown away. But the pig, the little pig who was in the brick house, well, when, when the danger came and blew on the house, it was strong and safe. And it's like that if your trust is in Christ. You're sheltering under the blood of Jesus, what he's done on the cross. You are safe. You needn't be frightened. You are in a safe place. So, Moses, a boost to faith. Faith in frightening times. Faith that is resisting and choosing and enduring and sheltering. Well, may God make those different lessons from these few verses useful to us in our lives. Shall we sing our last song together? Expresses trust in Christ and a desire to live by faith in serving Jesus in going forward. I once was lost in darkest night. I stand to sing.
O Lord, your greatness and authority should lead us to have faith that resists. O Lord, your wonderful goodness, grace and blessing on your people should give us a faith that makes right choices. O Lord, your faithfulness and blessing and kindness should give us a faith which endures. And the way in which you have provided a way of salvation through the sacrificial love of your Son should give us a faith that shelters. Help us to grow in these things and respond in these ways, we pray. Amen.